Hi, my name is Scott, and I'm one of the elders here at Southridge Church. Um, I'm probably better known as the, the elder without a beard, because it seems like all the other elders do have beards, so I'm kind of the token non-bearded one here in the church. I think might be in our church bylaws that you have to have a beard. For some reason, they allowed me to come in, which I'm thankful for. So you are stuck with me today um, around this. Uh, today, we're actually starting a new sermon series um, looking at called Well-Versed, and it's about looking at um, old songs in new ways and applying it to our lives to be able to do there. Um, today, we're going to talk with a, a, about an old truth of wisdom. You probably heard this ancient, it's probably an ancient proverb somewhere, but it talks about, uh, probably all of you have heard the sta- statement about a Debbie Downer. So uh, if your name is Debbie, I apologize, this is not personal, but um, th- unfortunately your name has been associated because it rhymes pretty well with Debbie to be able to do that. For those of you don't, that don't know what it's about, um, basically a Debbie Downer is someone that takes all the wind out of a room by their comments. So it can be a man or a, man or a woman that can d- does it. So for example, let's say you win a car um, from a lottery or some sort of random drawing, a Debbie Downer would now look at that and say, well, I want a car, but now I have to like get my picture taken and pay taxes on it. So you basically are taking something that's a positive and turning it into a real negative and just generally hurting the whole vibe that's going on with this. And no one really wants to be a Debbie Downer. So you just, another way to look at it is like uh, this bottle of water, it's, it's, it's 50% full. So um, some people would look at it as, well, it's 50% full, so your glass is half full. Other people might say the glass is half empty. The glass half empty being the more pessimistic view of the world, the glass being full being the more optimistic view of it. And at the same time, the, the, the bottle's in the same exact state, right? It's not changing. It's just our perspective on how we look at it. And today, that's kind of what we're wanting to look at as a series of passages of life and how it applies to it. And specifically, we're going to be looking at Psalms 13, looking at the life of David with it. And taking, not really taking into consideration the fact that, you know, the Debbie Downer looks at things negatively, from the standpoint of life can just be difficult for for us. And if you've lived long enough, you will experience some difficulties in life. Um, death is certain in life, and dealing with death can be difficult. There's that loss of that relationship that's there um, with it. There's sickness that's in this world. <clears throat> people get cancer. People have to have surgeries uh, to be able to do there. When you get married, if you're married, you think that when you get married, you know that you'll have some ups and downs in there, but maybe you are to the point where your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you've lost a child or you can't get pregnant as part of that, that marriage. Um, maybe you, God has blessed you with children, but you're dealing with issues with your children and how to raise them or uh, healing some of the damage that you might have caused in their lives with it. Or maybe you aren't married and you're struggling with, am I going to get married? Um, why is it taking so long? Is it me? Uh, life is filled with a whole bunch of different things. Um, and a lot of times we turn to God and we kind of wonder what is going on with our lives. Like, how did, why does God allow bad things to happen? Uh, we turn to God and say, why, are you, why aren't you allowing me to help defeat this sin? What did I do to deserve this happening to me? You can, you can fill in the blank with what that could actually be. Um, have you ever found in yourself in a position where you were just sitting there and questioning God? Um, questioning God itself isn't 
a bad thing. Actually, we're going to turn to a passage where we actually see it's a good thing because it communicates a deep understanding or a human misunderstanding about the character and activity of God. So today I'd like for you to turn with me, if you could, if you have your Bibles, to the passage of Psalm 13. So Psalm 13 was written by David. It's one of the Psalms. It's referred to as a a lament, um, which is an expression of sorrow. And it usually comes in the form of a prayer or a song, as we'll see it. Um, First, the background relative to this psalm. We don't know exactly what is occurring in David's life at this point in time. The, The passage is not clear. What we most likely know is it could probably, from the research that I did, it's one of two things that's happening for in, in this psalm that David's facing. One is that he's running from King Saul. So if you remember back into the life of David, um, he was trying to be king, and Saul didn't want him to be king. And so Saul was trying to kill him, and David had to flee into the wilderness to be able to do that. And another time in David's life, his son Absalom basically conspired against him and threatened took over the kingdom for a little bit of time. Later, he was defeated and killed, but his son didn't want David to choose someone else, another one of his sons, in this case, Solomon, which God had kind of promised to be able to um, look at the situation. What we're seeing, though, and what will become plainly evident once you first start reading this is that David is hurting, and he's in a lot of pain, and he's really seeking uh, direction. So for those of you who can turn with your Bibles, if you have it in front of you, turn to Psalms 13. So we're going to start in verses 1 through 2. So I'll read. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with the thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? So the first thing you notice about this passage is the repetition of the word how long, right? So he says it four times in a row, uh, how long? Um, so you can obviously feel the pain of that he's feeling in his things. And he starts out with, oh Lord, how long will you forgive me forever? So um, the, you know, forgiving forever, that means that he feels that he's being totally abandoned in this situation. He feels totally alone um, for that. My son, a lot of times when we ask him to, do something like something simple like you know go clean up your room or put the toys away that you did it his response is oh that's going to take forever that's his response with it clearly five minutes and forever are not the same thing but when you're a toddler then that's basically what life becomes but in this case David was kind of feeling somewhat similar he was feeling as if God had totally abandoned him um, and continuing on there he's like he says how long will you hide your face from me so David almost is coming up with this. He thinks that there's some sort of a celestial version of hide-and-go-seek that's going on where he's seeking God and God's not there. And he hasn't shown his face. And he's like, you need to show your face to me um, with it. We don't know in, in this case if David is actually alone, but it does appear as if he is alone. Or if he's not alone, he's feeling a, a, a high sense of abandonment. You can just see through this passage how much he's feeling pain and um, how much he feels this sense of loneliness in an unknown aspect of, of his life um, with that. And probably all of us have been in a position where we felt really alone or we didn't know how to respond to a situation or we just felt that we, we were dealing with it by ourselves and that no one was there to come beside us or to really help. And that's kind of the feeling um, 
what David does like that. I remember a time in my own life where I kind of felt that way. It was actually my sophomore year in college. Um, my first year in college, for those of you who don't know, I actually started out with a Bible college. I thought I was going to, I was thinking about being a pastor. Um, I ended up um, deciding not to become a pastor, and I decided to become an engineer because, you know, being pastor and engineer are pretty much synonymous, said no one ever. But I ended up switching colleges. So I went to a Bible college my first year, and then I went to a college my second year that, ha- that I could study engineering. And so I transferred into that school, and they did do things to get to know people. But when you're transferring in, everyone kind of has their whole friend group to be able to do that. Where I transferred, uh, where I went to school my first year, I was close to home. And I ended up, by the time I left college, that thing, it was a smaller school. I pretty much knew everyone that was at that college. I went to a place that was much larger, and I was, didn't know hardly anyone. Uh, I was in a different part of the country. So I w- grew up in Pennsylvania. I was in Ohio in a very flat part of it. Um, when it rained, it rained parallel to the ground, and it was really windy. I also didn't have a car. I was stuck there. And then um, my roommate situation wasn't really the best, and the people that were in my suite really weren't good. And then to compound all of that, um, the classes were really tough. So with engineering, um, it, was really, it was a really hard major to be able to do there. So I on average of about 8 to 10 hours of homework a night. And so it was really testing because I had thought that this is what God wanted me to do, but I was struggling with it. And it was like this never-ending uh, envelope of work and trying to, to do really well in your classes. And I was taking your weed-out classes that, if you, those of you remember, the ones that you barely, that a lot of people don't get great grades on, they could use it to weed out, and I was going through that. So in one class in particular, I remember we went through 1,500 pages of a book in 10 weeks. And so that's, that's a lot. Average about three to four hours of homework a night just for that one class. And I was taking five classes total. So I just felt really alone. I felt by myself. It was the first time kind of um, I was there without any sort of support group there. And it was a really hard, barren time to be able to do that. So I can kind of put myself in David's shoes at this time period of feeling just that sense of loneliness and not knowing how to get out of the situation. Um, continuing on in verse 2, he kind of talks about even further with this. He's like, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long, much, how long will my enemies triumph over me? So David is now looking inwardly at his thoughts. So he's trying to say, you know, he's probably by himself. And so when you're by yourself, a lot of times what happens? You turn inwardly to try to solve your problem and he's not getting any good answers. And he's probably some self-doubt is coming into place with there. And then he, he's really, really considering that his enemies may win this. So he's feeling a sense of desperation where he's, he's just in a situation that's a no-win situation. And it's a lot different, more different is his life is probably at jeopardy. There's, from those two cases of what we talked about, that's likely the cause of this. In both cases, there were people that were armed that were sent to kill him. And God had promised David, if you remember into the passage of the Old Testament, where God basically, there was a Davidic covenant, a covenant where God said that your offspring will become a forever king. So in other words, what we know now is David was in line for Jesus, and so his king would reign forever. So his blood or through his, his lifespan to be, able to be able to do this. But at that time period, none of that had been fulfilled. And David was now threatening for his life and not feeling any way out of it. 
And so you can kind of, if you put yourself into that situation, you can kind of understand the desperation that's resulting from there. You can feel that pain. You can kind of understand that a little bit more. And that comes to kind of the first principle that we kind of see from this passage, and that is pain in life is very real, and it can last a very long time. So pain and abandonment, I think probably all of us have experienced it one way or another. Um, And sometimes as Christians... We kind of like to make it seem like, yeah, once you become a Christian, everything's rosy and magically. Well, obviously there is a change that occurs and we have the, the assurance of salvation, but that doesn't mean that we escape all of the pain and the heartache. In some cases, being a Christian can bring on more pain and heartache through persecution or other things where if you stand up for your belief systems and that's contrary to what the world stands for, you're going to experience certain things. So this feel of a pain and abandonment is really is very real, and it's what David was experiencing firsthand. Um, and it also lasts very long. T- it can also last a long time. In some cases, in the case of like Paul, he had this thorn in the flesh that the past, that the that Bible tells us about. So something that never went away for him, that he was constantly dealing with it. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon, and if you even go back to what Chad talked about last week, there's a great example of this. It's when Jesus went to see. Lazarus. So Lazarus died. Jesus was on his way to see him, but he got delayed. And so when he showed up there, there was this uh, crying. And his response was, and what John eleven thirty five tells us, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. So the interesting thing about this passage in particular is that Jesus knew he was going to heal Lazarus. He knew that Lazarus was going to be brought back to, to dead. He knew the answer to the question. He knew the solution, which was that he was going to make Lazarus whole again. But all of the the people there that had the relationship with him were weeping, and he felt that pain. And and instead of just immediately responding to that pain and and freeing it, he stood there and wallowed in their sorrows. He felt their pain. He understood the pain as being both a full 100% human and and as well as God. And he felt that pain, and not only did he feel it, he, he sat in it for a while. And so that's a great example for us. It's just just because we have pain doesn't necessarily mean that that's inherently a bad thing. Um, obviously, pain has a negative connotation associated with it. It's something that we prefer not to do, but it's by itself isn't bad. I mean, there's a whole concept of no pain, no gain, right? Where if we don't work our muscles, if we want to get stronger, we have to work our muscles to the point of exhaustion until where it hurts, and that helps us develop things a little bit more. The same thing is the principle of, of, of pain. Pain can bring growth. Pain can bring change in our lives that otherwise wouldn't result. Um, but we have to go through that process in order for it to be um, taken apart. The passage here, the feel of pain and abandonment is, is, a really, is a very real thing for that. And we could very well be crying out to God, and he may seem silent, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he, he's not there, that he doesn't feel what you're going through or understand with that. And he's also not offended when we bring honest questions to him. So continuing now on to uh, the, the passage we're looking at, Psalm, starting in verse 3 again, Psalm 13. Give light to my eyes or I will fall or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when, I'm fall, when I fall. So David's asking God to help him see the situation like God sees it. He desires God's perspective to try and understand what he's going through. David sees negatives, 
and he desires to see the positive in the situation. So you kind of see a change in his attitude. So verse 1 and 2 is kind of the woe is me, the, the expression of the pain and the feeling. And now he's starting to move to the thing where he's asking for wisdom. He's asking to see what is the purpose of what you're trying to do in, in, in him. And he's also saying, uh, he's also recognizing that God has overcome. He realizes the power of God. And he also realizes that there's a potential for death. Um, so if he does, because he doesn't know what's going to happen in this situation, he feels, we talked about in verse 2, he feels that his life is at jeopardy. He, he understands that one of the outcomes could be that he dies. And so what he's saying is, or he's reminding to God, is saying, hey, if, if I die, what you promised me is not going to come true, by the way. Obviously, God already knew the answer to that question, but he is pointing out um, his fear of death. Um, and it wasn't just a metaphorical fear. It was an actual fear of death. Um, he doesn't like, he's just reminding God that he wants to know that. So it, it's not bad in itself when you're praying to God or you're in a situation that's really difficult and hard to overcome that you actually call out what you're fearful of, you, that you call out what you're struggling with, you call out what the pain is and let God know with that doing that isn't, now God already knows the answer to that before you're even saying that, but doing that is part of a healthy prayer life, and there's nothing inherently wrong with doing that as a thing. And continuing on in verses 5 and 6, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So now we even see another change in that same tone with it. David's demonstrating to us that he's trusting in God and he recognizes that there are times where God has been good to him and come through. So, the, 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 again, this, this whole passage is a lament, which is a, a term where he's going there, but lament and faith a lot of times can go hand in hand. Lament is not all about sadness and wailing and it's about recognition of, of the situation that you're in. Now, David understands full well, because nothing has changed, that, that life isn't all sudden roses and everything is perfect, but he's understanding, like, he recognizes that God has been there for him in the past, and he hopes that he will be there in the future for it. So what are things that we can drive out of this um, passage for, uh, for this, this section, the second section of the past? So first... Pain in life will always drive us towards something. So a lot of times, it's, I think it's human nature. When we're in pain, we want to try to get rid of that pain, right? We don't like to be in the painful situation. We don't want to just sit there and stay in the pain. Some of us could, but as a general rule, we want to try to get out of that, right? So the problem or the concern with doing that is sometimes it can drive us into unhealthy behaviors when we're in um, in that painful situation, right? So it's choosing the proper way to deal w- with things. Um, a lot of times, what times you hear, especially people that aren't saved, is they have a bad week, and what do they want to do? They want to go out drinking, right? They want sor- to drown their sorrows in alcohol or take drugs to escape. It's human nature to be able to, um, to do that. I mean, some of probably a more healthy way of dealing with it. A lot of times, what I try to do is I like to work out. So the endorphins come in from working out. I try to feel, get a little bit different perspective on life. That's helpful. But there are good ways to deal with pain, and there's bad ways to deal with pain. 
but a lot of times pain drives us to something. What it, in this case, what David's driving to and probably what the best response for us to respond to when we're seeing pain is to turn to God, to recognize what God, look in our past and see where God has taken bad things that have happened to us and how he turned them into good and gave us a different perspective associated with them. I think back to a, a time when I was early in my career and um, I had helped win a contract. It was a military development production contract um, for laser protection because there's lasers on the battlefield and if you don't have protection for your eyes in particular, you can become blind almost instantaneously, believe it or not. And there's actually infrared lasers that are um, just above where we can see our visible light and they can actually, you don't even know that they're there. If you see a visible laser, you can at least know that it's there and potentially look away. But in the case of the infrared, you don't even know they're there, and they can blind you to be able to do that. So I was involved with this program. I was leading the effort, and um, we had this budget to execute it. And as part of the budget that we put in for the bid, we were going to hire two new people. And so we got the contract. We won it. And I went to my boss and said, we need to hire these people. And he's like, you aren't hiring the people. So I was still responsible for making sure that the product got delivered. And so what that meant is I now had to work a whole bunch of extra hours to be able to do this. And it involved dealing with um, companies from two overseas companies, some comp companies in the United States with it. And there was a lot of deliverables. And so all of a sudden I had to go and work like 60 hours a week. And so it was really frustrating because that same boss was coming back and saying, hey, you have, you're supposed to be, your budget is, you're supposed to be bringing in this amount of revenue this year, which was tied to the people working, of which I didn't have them to work, and I had asked for additional people to help, and he kind of wouldn't let me do that. And so, at the same time period, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and she was stage three cancer, and she was undergoing chemotherapy. So I was in this really stressful, hard situation in life, and I felt that there was no out. Like, I knew what needed to be done, but I had no ability to make that happen because I was being constrained by my boss. And that was a really hard thing for me to deal with because I took it personally. Like, I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to succeed. I took pride in my work, and I wanted to make sure that things happened. But the same time period, I was powerless to make any of those changes that I know needed to be done to really bring the product to its full level of thing. And that was something really hard to deal with. Um, for my life uh, to be able to do that. And all I really had to do is to realize that, you know, it was a painful situation um, to be able to do that and George to recognize it. So as we come now, we've gone through this passage, what does it really mean for us or what sort of things can we take out of this application for this as we go from despair into pain? So I would say there's three things that we can do to trust God in the middle of pain um, and to apply that. So the first principle is to realize that God's love is never changing. So going back into the to passage, into verse 5, where God says, I trust in your unfailing, where David says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. So um, the word that he uses for unfailing love is a Hebrew word called hesed. Hesed means a covenant love, and that a covenant love is a covenant is like a, a blood covenant or something that is like going to happen. It, is a, it will happen. And so this word is very strong. So he's referencing back to 2 Samuel 7.15, where God 
told David that his, that his offsprings, that he would be a forever king on a forever throne, is what 2 Samuel 7.15 does. So he's using that same, purposefully, using that same word about unfailing love, and it's that Hesed love, to go back to what God's promise was. And a lot of times if you study theology, that's called a, the Davidic covenant that was made between God and David, where he's been able to do this. Now, again, put yourself into this situation. God made this promise to David. David's sitting in this situation where he doesn't know. He, he's feeling that it's not going to, that he's, his life's going to end. Um, and so he's reminding God about this. And, and because he reminds of it, he now realizes that I need to trust in that covenant. God gave me his word. God, he believed in God. He trusted in God. And so he was going to choose the, the, the path of not doubting, but trusting. And that's one of the important things with that. God is never changing. He will always be there for us in our character with that. And so we need to be able to, to move away from doubt to trust. And when we change our attitude from doubt to trust, it drives different sort of behavior, and it can change our attitudes on the way that we're dealing with things. The second thing is realize that God's salvation is for sure. So continuing in verse 3, he talks about God's salvation for him. So he understood that God, what God had promised him was going to be true, and so he was secure in his salvation. And if he would die, he understood where he was going. So he had a certain confidence with it. And that's one of the beauties of our relationship with God is we know what we know the end result. We have confidence in the end result. We know what's going to happen when we die. We understand that good will good representing God will always overcome evil, which is represented by Satan. We know who wins. We know the result. We may not know how it plays out. There might be times where it looks like it's not going to work out but it will, and God isn't fully in control, and so we can be entrusting of that. So by putting our trust in the God's salvation and power, we can be able to do this. Romans 8 talks about this. Um, it says, when we groan, when we hurt, um, the actual quote of Romans 8 is, in hope that creation itself will be set ourselves from bondage to completion and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So freedom only comes from a God who is concerned about your good and his glory. And sometimes, a lot of times, we're focusing in solely on our own selfishness. We aren't considering the larger picture of what God is trying to, to do. And that's because we have, we're under pain, right? A lot of times we're under pain where that pressure point is against us and we are in tunnel vision. We are just thinking about the immediate situation that we're in and how to get out of it. We aren't looking beside us we aren't looking for what the bigger picture is, and that's just reminding us that God always has a bigger picture, and we know the outcome. And then the third point is realize that God's goodness knows no limits. So going again back to this verse 6, David says, for he has been good to me. The term used in here is another Hebrew word meaning gamal, which means reward. David realized that he was given something by God. He was selected by God, um, and he didn't deserve it in the first place. Sometimes it takes us reaching to rock bottom before we look up and realize that we have a lot to be thankful for and that we have someone that's advocating on our behalf, that's there, that's fighting for us, and that nothing is occurring without his knowledge. So 
what really changed is not David's situation, but his perspective on his perspective. And let me say that again. Really what changed as you went through this passage was his perspective. So he, he originally was focused in on his pain and his suffering and his situation. And then he, he later focused in on God's truths. And that's really what needs to apply to our life. That's why this is such an awesome passage because it, it, you're placing your faith in Jesus doesn't necessarily change your current circumstances, but it does change your perspective and your destination. So for those of you that haven't trusted in God, um, the, the alternative, it becomes a binary thing. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in two weeks. Is just uh, the sal- what salvation means and how it, how, how it relates to the overall passage of the Bible. But as we're doing this, it's like that is the most important thing that you can do. If you do not trust, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, the time of the presence to be able to do this. We'd love to talk to you about that. Just it, the, it's a really a binary thing. There's heaven and there's hell. So you're going to one of the two places, and it depends upon your trust and your belief system and being able to do this. So as we're going to close... We're going to play a song that this whole sermon um, was based upon. And, and I would like you to really just listen to the words and what it means to you. And I know that um, one of the things that David did in this passage that we're called to do throughout the Bible is to pray. And so what I'd really like you to do is just take some time to, to look at your situation and, and pray out to God to be able to do that. And if you need to come and talk to someone, if you want to talk to Jeff afterwards, or you want to to, to reach out to any of us that are any of the elders or the church or whatever, let us know how we can be praying for you uh, to be able to do this. But we, what we need to do is just to, to pray and lay those things out to God, similar to what, what David was doing in this passage. And that can look like a bunch of different things, but maybe it's you're the person that's going through this uh, uh, painful situation in your life and you're hurting. You need to turn that over to God. Maybe you're someone who's walking next to someone who's going through a painful situation. And so what you can do is stand beside them and advocate on their behalf by praying for them uh, to be able to do this. Other of you are hurting because you have sin in your life that you need to confess. Now the Bible talks about this, that if you have yet to confess your seals, um, if Jesus, if you're faithful in confessing your sins, Jesus is faithful in forgiving them. But if you aren't bringing it out, it won't be forgiven, and you'll be left with the consequences of that. You have a chance to do that today by praying for that. Or maybe there's a fourth case where maybe you and your own actions know that you have brought pain and suffering onto someone, and you need to ask for forgiveness to do that. So you, first you ask for forgiveness by praying for it, and then going to that person that you've wronged and being able to do that. And I think can think of probably all the situations in our life, well, where we've had those situations being able to do that. And I think one of the things that the hard part is when we are going through these really difficult circumstances, we just don't have that full perspective on, on life. But um, similar to what David did, we can look back on our lives and, and better apply that. And I talk about those two circumstances that we had talked about, like that one where my boss wasn't giving me resources. Well, what ended up happening is they eventually recognized what that, that boss at that time was doing, and he ended up getting demoted. I ended up getting moved to a different role where I um, started to have a bunch of people reporting to me. And the irony of all of this situation is um, not that I'm 
really happy about it, but he ended up having to manage that very project that he messed up because he didn't have enough resources. Uh, and he ended up being the one that ultimately was responsible for its success uh, to be able to do that. Looking back at the, the other situation in my life when I was going through college and it was really hard, if I didn't have that pain in my life, I don't know if I would have focused or had, had been as astute in being able to study and to try and really do a good job. And so my education or the things that I learned in college have allowed me to succeed in my career or to given me opportunities to go to different places throughout the world and work on cool things. Um, if, had I not gone through that painful circumstance, I wouldn't be at the person I would be today. If things were all great, I might not have applied the same level of discipline to my studies. If I had a bunch of friends that may have been bad influences on me, I might not have studied to the full level. Uh, that pain served a purpose, and looking back on my life, I'm thankful for it because it had taught me a lot of lessons. And so if you're in those circumstances right now where you just don't see it, a lot of times it's just that we don't have that perspective. The truth of God is always there, and so I just pray that you would just recognize that in your own life and, and use, let God work through those situations as much as possible. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your undeserved faithfulness to us. I thank you for sending Jesus to make the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, but I know that it comes with a price, and there was pain as a result that you had to pay for due to my own sin. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray for your continued intercession in our lives and that we could be light in a dark world that is turned away from you. I thank you for your never-ending love, your salvation, and the goodness that knows no limits. May we better apply these principles to our lives. In your name, amen.